Amen. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Remember, throughout this passage, Paul, you know, after thanking God for the Thessalonian believers and giving them a blessing of joy and peace, he defends his ministry, prays for their spiritual growth. He longs to visit them. So we often think of Paul, he's so, you know, analytical and so doctrinal that we forget to see that other side of him. He's very personal. He loves the, the people that he ministers to, okay? He's the kind of shepherd every, every pastor should want to be like. But he encourages them to live. He, you know, Timothy brought back a good report. He encourages them to live, to please God, not to please ourselves. He tells them they come from a pagan, pagan background that we need to be set apart from sexual immorality. We're living in a pagan culture right now. Let's face it. It's no longer secular, no longer atheistic, and it's definitely no longer Christian. And so our culture is telling us, you want to have premarital sex, have premarital sex. You want to have sex with somebody of the same sex, same gender, go ahead. You want to, you're a male, you want to be a female, go ahead. Paul said, let God be true and every man a liar. And you just what I said right now. Yeah, I, got, I got a buddy, Pastor John Feeks. He pastors up in Winnipeg, Canada, former MMA guy, and um, about 10 years younger than me. And he listens to our stuff online and stuff. He's a powerful preacher himself, got a great intellect. He preaches the same type of messages I preach. If the Bible calls something sin, he calls it sin. If the Bible calls something righteousness, he calls it righteousness. Do you realize that that guy could go to prison for doing that in Canada right now, okay? Now, it might be five or six years before it gets that bad in America. I don't know. I don't even know. I think it could happen quicker, okay? But let God be true and every man alive. If they want to lock me up for preaching that sexual immorality is still a sin, they want to lock me up for doing that, fine. It'll be next man up, Okay? Paul's telling Thessalonians, we're not playing games. You got to get out of that pagan lifestyle. Now, some of us grew up in Christian homes. We were never in that, that pagan type lifestyle. But we can't help it now. It's a pagan culture. And so just because the world accepts certain practices, you know, we can't go there. We got people who have to walk on eggshells when they go to work, calling the, somebody by the wrong pronoun could get you fired. Okay, um, let God be true and every man a liar. We live to preach Jesus. That's what we do. When we trust in Jesus for salvation, we sign on a dotted line. We're living to build his kingdom, not our own. And so if that means I get a nice house with a white picket fence, two cars in the driveway till the day I die, great. But if it means that I or you have to spend our last years in a dungeon being fed bad food and maybe being beaten up every other day. If it means dying, hey, we just join in the club. That's, that's the, been the history of Christianity. History of Christianity is not God snatching us away from suffering. The history of Christianity is God being with us in the midst of our suffering. Corey Ten Boom suffered a lot. 
but she didn't suffer alone. King Jesus was there with her and with her sister and with her family when she was in one of the labor camps uh, headed by the, the Nazis. So we don't do sexual immorality. Sex is between a husband and a wife. Anything outside of that is sin. And then Paul says, excel in brotherly love. And that means, and he tells you, you're doing, he said, Paul tells him, you're doing great. You're loving one another. I, I, I wish if, if Paul were here today, I wish he would look at us and say, you guys are doing great in brotherly love. But he still tells them, the Thessalonians, you're doing great in brotherly love, but you need more love. Okay? And don't let the world confuse you. Love means seeking the greatest good for others without expecting any, anything in return. And don't listen to the false teachers like Tony Kampala, where he acts like you can't express love and power at the same time. Look, God is eternally love, and God is eternally all-powerful. In fact, I say the most powerful thing in the universe is love. So you love your enemies, and you pray for them. If the day comes when they're leading you to be executed for preaching the gospel, say a prayer for that person, that prison guard that's leading you on that way. We got to love. We got to do more than love. We got to speak the truth in love. That's going to, I'm telling you, you speak truth, you get in trouble, you get canceled. Okay? And, um, I got, when this goes on YouTube, I got to avoid certain words because they cancel those, those, they pull it down for community standards. What community are you talking about, dudes? Some 19-year-old guy working for Facebook, fact checker. And uh, we got, we need more love, more power. Like the song goes, we need more of Jesus in our lives. Okay? And I, I love this church. We, we love each other. I wish I could get to know you more. You guys miss a Sunday or two, and I'm, I'm like a little puppy dog. Um, I'm great to see my my buddies here, and uh, and uh, some of you. It's just like I I want to hug you and talk to you for about a half hour, but there's another brother right there. I got to walk and say hello to him and say hello to her, and we we love each other. But I think Paul would be really happy with us, but he would still tell us, "You need more love." And then work. Do your share. Don't be lazy. If God's made you healthy, you know, God calls to serve, not to be served. And, um, and you know, but the, we're going to find even in Second Thessalonians, Paul talked to them so much about the coming of Christ. And then he had to flee because of persecution that they were like, okay, well, I'm going to quit working and wait for Jesus to come back. Oh, it's been two weeks. He hasn't come back. Let me mooch off my friend whose theology is messed up, who's still working, but... I need their food. And Paul eventually has to tell them, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, if any man will not work, you need to let him eat. Okay? Um, you know, when in 1984, when I got married, I felt called to enroll in Liberty Home Bible Institute. And eventually I enrolled in Liberty University, and the rest is history. But I was being told by pastors, don't, don't, don't be studying for the ministry. There's not enough time. You just got to minister. Don't go to... But I thought, well, I think that's what God wants me to do today, okay? And, um, and so, you know, 
you know, you say, look, Jesus is coming back. I can't wait. But don't sell all your belongings and then just sit on a roof and wait for him to come back like the Millerites did in the late 1800s, okay? So, um, you know, you do what God's called you to do. If I knew Jesus were going to come back today, of course, I'm a post-tribber. I don't think that's going to happen. But if I thought Jesus was going to come back today, you know what I'd be doing right now? What I'm doing right now. Okay? So you keep being all that Jesus called you to be. But you work. You do your share. You know, Paul says, live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Okay? It amazes me that Paul told the Thessalonians, lead a quiet life. Because Paul didn't lead a quiet life. But you, you got these loud preachers and you got quiet Christians. Believe me, the quiet Christians are powerful Christians and they get a lot done and li live that, that, that quiet life. And, um, but some of us, God calls us to be loud. You know, and that's why Paul's head was severed that ended his life because he was, he was loud. He wouldn't shut up. And uh, God calls some of us to be loud. God calls some of us to be quiet. We all share Jesus just in different ways. And, um, and uh, so he tells us work with our hands. Now, Paul's going to talk about, in verses 13 to 18, Christ's return, and he gives us comfort for our loved ones that have died. Okay? Let me read the whole passage, and then we'll break it down verse by verse. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. Paul says that so many times. He's telling Christians, Christians, I don't want you to be ignorant of God's truths. You know, I had a guy, this couple used to hammer me. They used to go to different little churches and mess with the pastors and make them feel like giving up, you know? And they would never mess with the pastors of the big churches because their staff wouldn't let them get to them. And this guy told me, he said, I was praying and I found out what your problem is. I said, what's my problem? He says, you have too much wisdom. I said, I have too much wisdom? He says, yeah, you're always studying the Bible and try to break it down and everything like that. You have too much wisdom. I guess he thought I was just supposed to experience Jesus. And I said, well, do you think I have more wisdom than Paul? And he said, of course not. And then I said, well, then Paul's got a bigger problem than me. And the guy didn't get it. It went over his head. So, uh but guess what? You know, Paul's message to a guy like that, God doesn't want you to be ignorant. By the way, we're learning all the time. So if you're not learning Jesus' truth, I don't know what you're learning, but it stinks. Okay? We are learning all the time. If you're going to not be grounded in God's word, you're going to go off on some wild tangent. Okay? Just stick to God's word. Uh, we always want Jesus plus something more. Paul told us in Colossians, you're complete in Christ. The life, the meaning of life, and to make him known. And how do we know Christ even more and more? We study his word. How do we make him known? We proclaim his word to others. But Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. I'm glad. If God wanted us to be ignorant, I'd be out of a job. I wouldn't be able to teach at a Christian school. I wouldn't be able to pastor a church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, concerning those who died. They use that because when the body looks like it's asleep. How many people have been to a funeral where they say, oh, he looks like he's asleep? 
That means the caretakers did a good job on the guy, okay? Uh, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. I was just at a memorial yesterday for Lisa Walker, a great lady of God, who spent her life in a wheelchair, always had a smile on her face. If that's all she did was smile in that wheelchair, she got, was in an accident, inner tube accident in the snow when uh, she was a teenager, and she lived to be uh, about 61 years old. And, uh, but all, if all she did was smile from that wheelchair, that would have been a powerful ministry right there. Just her smiles was, a, was like a parable that Jesus is enough. Uh, but she did more. She proclaimed God's truth and all. But she went to be with the Lord. And guess what? Uh, you, you could hardly tell people were grieving. And the place was packed with hundreds of people. You couldn't fit the people in here. Hundreds of people. And many of them were Christian leaders that had known about her ministry. And uh, so a lot of old friends. And um, uh, But you saw it mostly rejoicing. She's got no more pain, and she's with Jesus. She's with King Jesus. And, um, and, and so Paul says, uh, when a brother or sister in Christ die, uh, you should, I, I don't want you to sorrow as others who have no hope. We do grieve. We do have sorrow, but we don't grieve as those without hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So he's comforting us. If our brothers and sisters in Christ die, Jesus is going to come back with them when he returns. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So the dead in Christ are going to be raised first, and then those who are alive. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. It's going to be a big deal. Uh, with a shout and the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, the comfort here is not, you're not going to suffer. All believers are going to suffer. The comfort is that when your loved ones die, if they know Jesus, you'll see them again. Okay? And, um, and so Christ's return should give us comfort when our loved ones die, if they know the Lord. Uh, Paul tells us in verse 13, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Don't be ignorant about the death of our brothers and sisters in Christ. If we grieve for them without hope, we're being ignorant. Okay? Now, and I'll tell you, my, you know, my dad was Catholic, but he was a Christ-centered Catholic. The Portuguese Catholics were Bible reading, Christ-centered Catholics. They had a big emphasis on Our Lady of Fatima, which I think was some demonic entity impersonating Mary, and it was Fatima, Portugal. But other than that, they were very much like evangelical Christians. And, um, and so I think he was a believer. And I had good fellowship with him throughout the years. Um, but just in case, I called him when he was on his deathbed. And my sister Marie said, well, he can't, 
he can't talk right now, and the doctor said he can't hear you. Well, the doctors are almost always wrong, believe me. If you visit people who die, pastors do that a lot on their deathbed. The, 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 the pastors, there's ways to confirm if they can hear you. So when I got on the phone in 2009 with my dad, June 9th, it's coming up, week from Friday. And I said, Dad, if you can hear me wiggle. He was on a recliner, and all his brothers and sisters were around him, and his, his son, other son and daughters. I said, Dad, if you can hear me, wiggle your fingers. I figured I'd confirm that later on. And I said, Dad, don't trust in an organization. Don't trust in your works. We've had this talk before. You trust in King Jesus. And Jesus will bring you to the other side. And just wait a few years, Dad. I'll be there with you. And, um, and he couldn't talk and all. But my sister Marie got on the phone. She said, Phil, what did you tell him? I said, well, I told him to wiggle his fingers if he could hear me. And she said, that explains it, because he was wiggling his fingers and his toes. So that was his last joke. And he died a few hours later. And I got to preach his eulogy in the Catholic Church. And um, he had a buddy that had been in the monastery with him that later became a priest, uh, Brother Martin, and uh, uh, that, that did the Mass and all. But I got to preach the, the, the eulogy. And, uh, and so I feel pretty confident that when King Jesus comes back, He's going to bring a Portuguese named Joe Fernandez with him. Now, my mother's kind of scary because with my mom, she died in 2000. Every time I talk to her about Jesus, she'd throw a demonic fit. On a good day, she'd throw a demonic fit. On a bad day, she'd throw a demonic fit and, and some plates at me, you know. So uh, she was a hot-blooded Italian gal from North New Jersey, enough is said. And... Um, but she was not even a good Catholic. I'd tell her about the Trinity and that Jesus is God the Son. She'd say, no, he's not. He's the Son of God. He's not God. And I'm like, i say, Dad, talk to her. And he's like, <laughs> it's like, I've been down this road before. You want to argue with her, you argue with her. And she'd say, there's other ways to be saved besides Jesus. And, you know, when I witnessed to her mom, my grandma in Aquino, she said, I gave her John 3.16, and she said, that sounds nice, but I've been praying to St. Jude all my life, and he never let me down. Why should I change now? My heart just sunk. So with my mom, I figured, let me, wherever she was going into an operation where she could die, which was very often, she said, I just wish I could know I'm going to heaven. And then I'd come out and give her John 3.16, and she said, that sounds nice, but it sounds too easy. And, um, but she'd only be open to the gospel when she's on her deathbed. So I figured I'd, I'd call her up one more time. And um, I called her. Kathy told me, your mom's dying. I got home from work. Just give her a call. And, and Marie said, well, she can't hear you. And, um, and I said, just put the phone to her ear. And I didn't confirm it. That was in 2000, 2009. I figured, let me get confirmation from my dad that he could hear. And so I, told, I said, Mom, we had this talk before. I didn't have to give the whole gospel message because she heard it from me time and time. I knew she understood it because she got de through demonic fits all the time. And um, I said, Mom, we had this talk before. You just trust in Jesus. Ask Jesus to be your Savior. Ask him to forgive you, and Jesus will take you to heaven. Just trust in Jesus, Mom, nobody else. And, um, and she'd be like, it sounded like she was getting worked up, so I thought she was maybe hearing what I was saying. 
And, um, but I still kind of had doubts, you know, and all. But then my sister Marie told me, she said, you know, it's funny you called when you did. Because earlier in the day, she kept asking for the Baptist minister. And, uh, and they said, you want the priest? Because she had, you know, last rites like dozens of times. You want the priest? No, I want the Baptist minister. And she was being a little incoherent, so they weren't sure what. And eventually she got mad and said, I want the Baptist minister from Washington State. And so what happens there is when I left the Catholic Church and started a non-denominational church, this church in 1988, she said she disowned me. And all that meant was she would never mention me by name. And she said, what kind of church are you starting? And I said, uh, it's a non-denominational church. She said, what the heck is that? And I'm cleaning up the language. This lady had a foul mouth. She could, sometimes she'd yell at us, and she'd string together seven or eight curse words. And we just stop. And I look at my brother right before we got whooped, and it would be like, that's poetry. I've never heard, you know. And, uh, but, uh, you know, she's like, well, I said, non-denominational church. She said, what the heck is that? I said, we're kind of like the Baptist, because Catholics would view us more like the Baptist, local church autonomy. We don't answer to a, to a higher human group. We answer directly to Christ. And I said, we're kind of like the Baptist. So from that day on, she referred to me as the Baptist minister from Washington State. So I knew she wanted to talk to me when she was dying. And the night that she died, I got to share the gospel message with her one more time. So I'm hoping she's in heaven. If Angelina Minichino Fernandez is in heaven, she got saved on her deathbed. And uh, so I'm hoping I'll not only see my dad, but I'm hoping I'll see my mom too. And, uh, but we don't grieve like those without hope. Okay? Don't, don't change this passage and turn it into we get comfort because we're not going to suffer. No, no, all Christians suffer. The comfort here is that our loved ones who die, it's not about us, it's about them. Our loved ones who died, if they died in Christ, we will see them again. So stop acting like you'll never, ever, ever see your friends again. I mean, Marcus Collier, one of my buddies, younger than me, in his 50s, died of a heart attack. Denny Smith, his, uh, his daughter was just here with her husband. Denny Smith, what a man of God. These guys would come to the Bible studies. They'd come to the men's breakfast. Stella. We remember Stella. Ruth. Energy, 100%. And then she just dies in the middle of the night. P.J., Harry Armstrong. Boy, Harry Armstrong was a man of God. The other Harry, Joshua Vitito. Chris, you're good at leading praise and worship, but it was better with Josh. Just banging on his guitar, crying out to the Lord. Leanne Macho, very instrumental, leading me to Christ. Uh, if it wasn't for Leanne and Cease and... Kathy, my wife's parents, and their prayer meeting, um, I don't think I would have come to Christ. I don't think Trinity Bible Fellowship would have ever been started. Leanne Macho, Bill Grammer, what a man of God. What a man of God. Kenny Storm. I couldn't preach a, a sermon without him. 
hugging me and thanking me for it. Um, Brad's daughter, Haley, just just hearing her cry out to God without words, throwing a praise and worship. We got our own, you know, our own friends. I got my Dr. Geisler, Dr. Norman Geisler, who uh, saw in me potential. Because of him, I'm now working with Veritas International University and the president of the International Society of Christian Apologetics and one of the heads of the website, Defending Inerrancy. My old buddy, Conrad Clayton, Pastor Belleville, Kathy's mom. Kathy took so good, such good care of her mom. Her mom and her dad, her dad's still alive. Her dad could still beat me in wrestling. And he's like, he's like, was he 86 now? But he had two, two 85 birthdays. They, they had to put the thing on the wall, 85th birthday and everything. They put it on Facebook. Everybody's wishing him happy 85th birthday. Kathy did the math and that night figured out he was only 84. So, yeah. so the next year I had to have his 85th birthday all again. I was like, don't throw out the, all the stuff. We're gonna, we can use it again. And, uh, you know, so we've had people that we love, and the list goes on. Huh? Kathy's brother, Tim. One year into our marriage, he tragically dies. And, uh, and he was studying Jack Van Impey's tapes on the Book of Revelation at that time. And others, others that we talked to said he had turned his life over to the Lord. Um, you've, all, you got, you've got loved ones that have died. If they died in Christ, we'll see them again. Don't be ignorant about the death of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't grieve for them without hope. Because when we see King Jesus, we'll see him again. By the way, think about that. How much more do we have? To, why, why is why Paul says, look, you love the brethren. That's good. But you need to love the brethren more. If we, if we filled up this, this church, if we just added the people who were here that went to be with the Lord, we'd have standing room only. Okay? Please don't, don't get to the point where you have to walk up to a casket and tell the body of a guy who's gone, hey, I really loved you, brother. You couldn't tell him that when he was breathing? You know? And um, we got to let each other know we love each other. You don't know how long we have. Every breath we take is an extra gift from the Lord, okay? And, uh, but uh, don't be ignorant about the death of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't grieve for them like the world grieves without hope. We have hope. When we see King Jesus, we'll see them again. Uh, one of the beautiful things about America, as rotten as America's gotten, almost everybody that dies has heard the gospel message. So I'm hoping for a lot of deathbed conversions of relatives and stuff, like my godfather, Rocco Minichino. You know, I talked to him about the Lord. He says, hey, I don't, need, I don't need religion. Talk to my sons. They're really messed up. And his sons ended up coming to Christ. No evidence that um, Uncle Rocco did. And um, don't be ignorant 
about the death of our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't grieve for them like the world without hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. So if we believe Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that Jesus died, died on the cross for your sins, and that he bodily rose from the dead? Yeah, that's what makes us Christians, okay? Well, if we believe Jesus died and rose again, then we believe Jesus will return for us. And when he returns for us, he's going to bring our believing deceased loved ones with him. Look at John 14. John 14. Verses 1 and 2. In fact, we'll take verses 1 through 3. Let Jesus, this is the night Jesus was betrayed. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back uh, for his people. And then look at 1 Corinthians 15. It says, uh, verses 20 and 21, Paul says, But now Christ is risen from the dead, and has become the first fruits. He's the down payment guaranteeing our resurrection. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, that was Adam, by man, Jesus, also came the resurrection of the dead. So as Jesus was raised, we're going to be raised. If you die right now, if you're a believer, you die right now, your spirit goes to be with the Lord and you have conscious existence with Jesus in heaven. But when Jesus returns, he brings your spirits with him, and then they get joined to your bodies. And your bodies get raised. Your mortal body puts on immortality. And the power that's unleashed on, for a, a mortal body to be raised, same power to God, you know, the same power that's at work in us, Paul says, uh, is the power that took God to raise Jesus from the dead. The amount of power to not just raise a mortal body back to mortality, but to transfigure it. And so to take a mortal body and make it immortal, that's off the charts. If the Shroud of Turin is the authentic burial cloth of Christ, read my friend, a retired nuclear engineer, um, Robert Rucker. I've had him speak here a few times at conferences and all. Read his work on uh, how he thinks the image was formed on the Shroud of Turin because the amount of energy emanating from the corpse that transfigured the body of Christ, transmitted three-dimensional information on the cloth. Um, um, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's not, we do not have the technology to do that. So what God did when he raised Jesus from the dead, we can put a man on the moon. We can't do that. Okay? And, um, um, but if Jesus rose, he's going to raise his people from the dead and uh, so if we believe Jesus died and rose again, then we believe Jesus will return for us. He will bring our believing deceased loved ones with, with him. He's going to raise them. And uh, verse 15, 
uh, 1 Thessalonians 4. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Some believers are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. Now, you know, and, and by the way, talk to Pastor Pat. There are some, all my professors at Liberty University, Southern Evangelical Seminary, Veritas International University, they were all pre-tribbers. They believed we would not go through the tribulation. I never, never accepted that doctrine. I didn't think it was biblical. So I think Christians are going to go through the tribulation. And, uh, but here it's called the coming of the Lord. Uh, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Okay? Uh, the apostles in Matthew 24, they asked Jesus, what is the sign of your coming? The coming of the Lord. And Jesus said immediately after the tribulation of those days. Sun will be darkened, moon won't give its light, stars will fall from the sky, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the nations of the earth will mourn, and then a trumpet will sound, and the gather, angels will gather the elect from one, for four winds. So I don't see two phases, a secret phase, to the second coming of Christ. What I'm saying is the comfort that the Lord gives us is we'll see our loved ones again. The comfort the Lord gives us is not he's going to spare us the type of suffering that most of the church has gone through for, for two millennia, okay? Now, I'm hoping I'm wrong, okay? But I cannot, in honesty, proclaim to you a doctrine that I don't accept. And so the view that I hold now is called post-millennialism. It's now being called because other scholars like me, more are coming out of the woodwork, proclaiming it, and the historical research has been done. It's now called historic premillennialism. Because in the earliest church, even if they thought Jesus was going to return real quick, they thought they were in the tribulation and the present Caesar was the Antichrist. But what I'm saying is, God, God, and even pre-tribbers, nobody is saying we got to be prepared for evacuation. Even pre-tribbers recognize we will suffer. So it's a pastor's job, no matter what your view of the end times is, to prepare your people for suffering. Okay? It comes with the turf. And don't, don't get a big head that powerful people don't like you. In fact, powerful people hate you. Don't get a big head. You're not that important, okay? It's not you, really. Don't take it personal. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. It's like when I, when I pull a guy over for speeding, the guy get mad. I never took it personal. He didn't even know me. He's mad at the law and his inability to obey the law, okay? And so I just kept saying, the guy could curse me out. I said, yes, sir, yeah, I need to see your driver's license and your vehicle registration. We'd have to see insurance back then, proof of insurance. And they just go on and on. But, but I understood. It wasn't me. They didn't have a problem with me. They had a problem with the law and their inability to keep it. People don't. If you're, if you, if you're loving people and you're preaching the gospel to them, they really don't hate you, Okay? What happens is they see Jesus in you, okay? So this global persecution of Christians that's going to be completely global, global, Jesus in the last days, you'll be hated in all nations because of my name. Don't take it personal. It's not you that upsets them. In fact, they'd lo they would love you. They would love the old Phil Fernandez. 
But when they see Jesus in me, and when they see Jesus in you, they can't handle that. Okay? But I tell you, you mess. You mess with King Jesus' people. The old expression back in Jersey, you mess with the bull, you get the horns. Don't mess with Jesus, and don't mess with Jesus' people. Because it is going to be payback. My Savior, he loves me, he loves you, but he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And when he comes back, he's going to bring judgment on those who oppose him and those who oppose his church, um, but he's going to rescue uh, his people. So verse 15, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So Christians still alive when Jesus returns will not be glorified and transfigured before the resurrection of the dead in Christ. So we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, uh, but not until the dead in Christ are raised first. Okay? And then when Jesus returns with them, and then we'll be like them. So there's no reason for us to grieve uh, like the non-believers grieve. Yes, you do grieve. Is it, do I miss my dad? You bet I miss my dad. And I thought he was going to die April of that year. So I flew out there. My sister Marie, she sent uh, an ex-convict to pick me up. He's a real good guy. His name is Tish. And, um, and uh, he was a hardworking guy and stuff. And, and I was just talking to him. I was kind of sad. And he said, oh, you think your father's going to die? And I said, yeah, that's why I flew out. He said, well, yeah, he's going to die, but he's not going to die now. While you were flying out here, you had a good turnaround. You're going to have a good, good two weeks with your dad. And he was right. He just talked about the Lord, and my dad put on a little bit of weight, was getting a little healthy, and it was a few months later that he died, and I went out there for the, uh, the funeral and all. But, yeah, yeah, I, I grieve. I miss him. There's sometimes when I... You know, I don't accomplish much, but every once in a while I'll accomplish a little thing. I'll think, man, I got to tell my dad. When Jesus comes back, maybe I'll tell my dad. Of course, when Jesus comes back, uh, whatever little accomplishment I made, it's going to kind of dissipate with the glory of my king. And we're going to be so caught up seeing Jesus, and all of a sudden it's going to dawn on us like, whoa, there's my dad. You know, if it's my mom, I, I was going to say, if it's my mom, I'm going to have a heart attack. But no, you don't, you don't have heart attacks with a mortal body. So, uh, but, uh, but we're not going to be glorified, resurrected, and transfigured until the dead in Christ are glorified, transfigured their bodies, and raised with Christ, and they join the Lord. Uh, verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God that, to me, that doesn't sound like a secret snatching away at a church. Seems like it's pretty odd. There's a shout, voice of the archangel, trumpet of God, and I don't think it's only the church that hears that. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So the return of Jesus for believers. He'll descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. You see all those things in Matthew 24. You're talking about Jesus' return immediately 
after the tribulation of those days. So I don't think they're two separate events. Um, uh, Revelation 19, 11 to 16. After the tribulation period, Jesus returns. Revelation 19. Eleven to sixteen. Pat, I'm moving to the left. Pat's always joking that he knows. When I read the Bible, I almost always move to the left, and he knows when I take off my glasses where I'm going to move next. And and um, so I'm okay. I'm okay with that as long as he's not secretly working for the feds. Uh, uh, but Revelation nineteen, eleven to sixteen. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. My God, aren't you glad our God is faithful? Aren't you glad our God is true? That he's not giving us fake news? Man, why should I listen to Bill Gates, right? I got Jesus. I don't need Bill Gates and his bug burgers. Um, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt for a while among us. It's called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that's the Word of God, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. After the tribulation, he's going to bring the wrath of God to earth, and we're protected from that wrath, okay? And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So you have that coming in the clouds with his angels and power and glory. Some passages talk about the shout, the voice of the archangel, the trumpet of God. I think it's all the second coming uh, of Christ. I don't see it as two separate events. But Jesus will return for us. It's why the, the old Disney movies, not the new New Age Disney movies, but the old Disney movies were so good because there's a princess who's getting harassed by a monster, a dragon, but she knows someday her prince will return for her to rescue her. And to take her away. And in the end, the prince returns. He slays the dragon, rescues his bride. They live happily ever after. Boy, that sounds like the gospel. We're the bride of Christ. The evil one is beating us down and controlling governments, changing the laws. Mystery of lawlessness is at work. We're getting beaten and we're getting battered, but like in a Disney movie. We got to sing, uh, Someday My Prince Will Come. I can't sing as high as the cartoon character sings it. Someday our prince will come. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care if you lose your job, you're starving, you're homeless, you're in a prison cell, you're on death row. You can look at that guard and thank him for the crummy food he gives you. You could look at him and say, my king's coming back. My king's coming back. We have that hope. And uh, we know King Jesus will return. But 
When he returns, it's going to be the dead in Christ that will rise first, and then they'll join Jesus and meet us. Verse 17, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. By the word meet, too, I should have written it down, but in the book of Acts, there's somewhere else in the New Testament, it's a like it, it's the, the word they use for meeting a dignitary where you go out from where you are and you meet the dignitary as the dignitaries come and then you accompany back to where you were, okay? And so we get raised, we meet the Lord in the air, and then he returns to earth, and we just get behind King Jesus. The meek will inherit the earth, not the zealots. We don't have to have a global revolution. The meek will inherit the earth. We're just going to be there and watch King Jesus do his stuff, okay? And watch the Antichrist and false prophet go down and watch the battle of Armageddon be won by King Jesus. Um, so verse 17 there, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, with the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Okay? And um, so after the dead in Christ are raised, we're going to be changed. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Twenty to twenty-one. First Corinthians, oh no, the First Corinthians fifteen, fifty to fifty-four. Now this I say, brethren, First Corinthians fifteen, fifty to fifty-four. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. But I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, not all of us are going to die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, I believe that's the seventh trumpet, Revelation eleven fifteen. 15. Um, I don't think there's any trumpets after the last trumpet, otherwise God wouldn't call it the last trumpet. Um, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. For this corruptible must put on the on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption, and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. King Jesus is going to defeat, you know, through his death and resurrection, he's defeated death, but he hasn't come yet to conquer. And uh, so living believers will be changed, and meet the Lord in the air after the dead in Christ are raised, and then the dead in Christ, dead in Christ will be the first one raised uh, before uh, the living believers will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, um, like the meeting of a dignitary, then accompanying him on his arrival, and we will be with Jesus forever. Paul closes this passage by saying, therefore comfort another, one another with these words. So concerning our believing deceased loved ones, we need to comfort each other. When Jesus returns, we'll see our believing loved ones again. Okay? And um, I got a, got a few passages. Now, if you're out there and you're pre-tribber, God love you. If you're a mid-tribber, God love you. Post-tribber like me, I'll give you a hug. Uh, 
And uh, and then if you like the Raiders, you got the whole package, buddy, son. You know, you guys know who I'm talking to, but um, it's because there's so few of us. Uh, but, uh, you know, pre-rad guy, look, we all know our king is coming back. We all know we're going to suffer before our king comes back. We all have believing loved ones who died already and are going to die before Jesus comes back. And so we need to comfort each other and not grieve. Uh, not grieve like the world grieves. Yeah, I'm sad my dad died. Yeah, I'm sad my mom died. But I have the hope of seeing them again. And um, uh, so comfort each other with these words. When Jesus returns, we will see our believing loved ones again. Just a few passages I want us to look at. Look at John 19. Now, Job. Job 19. Twenty-five and twenty-six. Even Job could say this. The, the Job was probably the earliest book in the Bible written. So did Job read the Bible? No, there was no Bible. But he knew God's truth. Okay, guys like Melchizedek went around preaching God's truth. And Job probably lived during the time of Abraham and Melchizedek. In Job nineteen twenty-five and twenty-six. He said, "For I know that my redeemer lives." Do you know your redeemer lives? You know, I mean, it's not like Muhammad. The, the guy died, okay? His body rotted. It's not, not like Gandhi or Confucius, okay? Our Redeemer lives. He died for us, and then he conquered the grave. For Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. Job knew this stuff without the Bible. Some of us don't even know this stuff with the Bible. We've got to get our faces in the book, Okay? For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. He's going to take his stand on the earth. You know, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the white guy in the White House, all these politicians cramping down on us, and technology and social media trying to cancel us. And all we got to tell them is, hey, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will take his stand upon the earth. I pity billionaires that, that hate Jesus, powerful people that hate Jesus. Because Jesus is going to take his stand upon the earth. You got to get with his program. You got to bend the knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. For I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Even without the Bible, Job knew that no matter how bad things get, even if he dies, he knows his Redeemer lives and is going to take his stand upon the earth and rule the earth and that he himself is going to be bodily raised. It's amazing how many professing Christians today Go to churches that are so weak on doctrine, they don't even know that we're gonna, our bodies are going to be raised on the last day. They just think we're going to live as souls, immaterial souls forever and ever. Traditional Christians, even traditional Muslims and traditional Jews, all believe in a future resurrection. But if you're spending all your time on social media and not in God's word, 
And if your pastor's afraid to offend anybody by teaching solid biblical truth, you might not know that. You know, I'm, I'm going to have to wait in a long line, but I got all eternity. But someday I could actually give the Apostle Paul a hug. My body, my immortal body, can give his immortal body a hug. That's going to be a long line. I mean, you know, a few, few, few billion people, and, you know, I don't know what order. They, I'm, going, I'm hoping they go in order of height. You know, start with the shorter guys. Uh, but, uh, but Joe said, I know my Redeemer lives. He's going to take his stand upon the earth. After my skin is destroyed, I still know that in my flesh I shall see God face to face. Uh, look at Daniel chapter 3. I said it in conclusion, so we know we only have 20 minutes left. Daniel 3, 16 to 18. In Babylon, under King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. We got people that my wife is really, really suffering. I'm suffering just a little. Um, I'm trying to get my lower back straightened out. It's all coiled up. They said I'm actually six foot four. So... Um, but we got people who are suffering. God's able to deliver us from the suffering. But it's his choice. It's not ours. So I cry out, God, heal me. Heal my wife. He makes the call. Okay, prayer, the secret of prayer is not dragging God off the throne to do whatever you want. secret of prayer is rising up so you end up desiring what God desires for you. Our God whom we serve, said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. That's what we got to tell the world. We got to say, I'm not going to worship your gods. I'm not going to, you can deify the state, turn it into a false god. I'm not bowing before that. There was this lady on the Fox and Friends. Sometimes I have to, I got to tell them that I have to keep it on 24-7, even though I don't watch it and I turn the sound off. Otherwise, when I turn it on, it spends two days blinking on and off. So I have the sound off, but every once in a while in the morning, I'll turn it on. And this lady on Fox and Friends was talking to, she, she talks how she likes the British royalty. And so the guys are making fun of her, you know, Americans. And, um, and she said, look, look, you got to understand me. I only bow before Jesus Christ. Okay? And that's what we got to tell the, the world. I'm not, I'm not into British royalty, but whatever the case, you know, I'm not, I like coffee. I'm not drinking tea. And um, we won that war. And, um, but we got to let the world know, hey, even if God doesn't deliver me from this particular hardship I'm going through, I'm not going to serve your gods. I'm not going to worship your false gods. We got to tell the world, hey, if you can catch me and you want to imprison me, you can imprison me. If you can catch me, you want to kill me, you can kill me. But I say with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm not going to serve your gods. 
I bow before one person. I wouldn't even go to the Vatican in Rome. I'm not going to bow before that guy who thinks he's the vicar of Christ. I'll bow before King Jesus and him alone. Okay? And if you think I'm a nut and you oppose Jesus, I pity you. It's like Mr. T used to say, I pity the fool. Even Mr. T is trusting Jesus for salvation. But um, but here they were. Whether God delivers us or not, he's still he's still win. Look at Revelation twenty two twenty. Revelation twenty two twenty. Second to last verse in the Bible, Revelation twenty two twenty, says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Jesus is coming. Be ready for his return. Amen. Here's the response of the church. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You know, my wife talks in her sleep. And... Uh, I kick back and I listen for a while. If it's like a traumatic nightmare, I wake her up. But if she's having a good time, if it's a good dream, I just let her go. And uh, what was she say? She was saying that, that, and we had just attended a memorial of a disabled lady that loved Jesus, and we all talked about how she's not experiencing any pain anymore. And so my wife was talking, and it was like, uh, uh, Jesus, is, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to come back. And she was like, it was like, and it was real hard to hear, you know. It's not like I got the greatest hearing in the world, and it, it's not like when she talks when she's asleep, it's it's real loud. So I was listening close, and and then she was talking about how she's not going to have any more back pain. And I thought, you know, I thought, wait a minute, maybe I should wake her up. Maybe she's dreaming that she's about to be executed, and she's just telling. And I realized, no, no, she's saying it in a way. She's it was like she, in her dream, she was either witnessing to a non-believer or giving instructions to a new believer. What was she saying? She was saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. I'm hurting right now, Jesus. You haven't chosen to heal me. My wife's had a, a life of pain. She's saying, come, Lord Jesus, come. And when you come back, you'll bring our loved ones, and I'll have no more pain, no more sorrow. We'll close with 1 Corinthians 16, 22. 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16. Verse 22. Paul gives you both sides of the coin here. If anyone... If anyone does not love the Lord, Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. Okay? If anyone does not love the Lord, Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. And then he says, O Lord, come. In the Aramaic or the Hebrew of that day, okay, he uses anathema basically, though, for the loss, but he uses Aramaic, not the Greek anathema. Is Aramaic there, um, O Lord, come. And it's Maranatha in the Greek. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You're suffering right now. You're hurting. You're wondering if you're going to even lose your job and be employable. 
things are getting really, really tough. And then to top it all off, you got to remember your loved ones in Christ that died. And Paul says, don't grieve for your loved ones like the world grieves. You grieve with hope. You still grieve, but you grieve with hope knowing that when King Jesus comes back, he's going to bring our loved ones who died in Christ with him. The world looks at us like we're hopeless. They got, a, they got false hope. It's all going to be burned up. They got false hope. Okay? We're the ones who have hope. And never lose that hope. Because even Job suffering could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And he'll take his stand upon the earth. You know, but I'm suffering. I'm hurting. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will take his stand upon the earth. But my loved ones died. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he will take his stand upon the earth. Let that be our rallying cry. We know that our Redeemer lives and he will take his stand upon the earth. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come. Come for us. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in the wealth of the world and the things the world has to offer. Our hope is in King Jesus and his return. So let us proclaim, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, but we don't love you enough, Lord. Help us to love you more. We love your word, but we don't love your word enough. Help us to love your word more. We love your people, but we don't love each other enough. Help us to love each other more. May we never, ever forget when our loved ones in Christ die. We don't grieve without hope. We have hope because when Jesus comes back, he'll bring them uh, with him and we'll be reunited. And when we suffer, when we get knocked down, when the government starts crushing us, help us to have the rallying cry of Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We long for the day when King Jesus, who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Peter, Paul, and John, he's our God too. We long for the day we see him face to face. No more suffering. No more pain. We'll have our resurrection bodies and we'll see our loved ones that have gone before us. So may we proclaim, come Lord Jesus, come. Lord Jesus, you are our hope. In Jesus' precious name we pray.